A couple of years ago, I made my second trip to Vancouver. I only stayed for about six months, and I spent most of the time working full-time as a projectionist at a movie theater, saving up money to move to New York. Being up in the projection booth all alone, I had a lot of time to fill. And you really start to go stir-crazy if you don't have something to keep your mind occupied. So I started downloading lectures from the teaching company. And I can't even tell you how many I listened to in that six months. It must have been, it was like a whole university education practically. Up in that booth. Just listening while I spliced movies together and inserted trailers and did all the shit that a projectionist does. I mostly downloaded these things at random, so I covered all kinds of different topics, and not a lot of it really stuck in my mind. Probably also like a university education. But I remember one night, I was walking home from the theater for some reason. So it was real late, probably like one or two in the morning. I was walking down Hastings, but I was far enough east that I was past the really bad part. Just walking down the street on my way to commercial. Nobody around. Listening to this lecture series by a guy named Neil deGrasse Tyson. And one segment of the lecture was called Ends of the World. And walking along at night down that street all by myself in the middle of the night. That one really gripped me more than anything else I listened to in that six months. He was describing different ways that the planet Earth will eventually come to an end. And one in particular, he was describing how before a sun supernovas, it expands as it gets older. Until eventually, when the sun rose in the morning, it would cover the entire horizon. You wouldn't be able to look without seeing the sun. And that image really stuck with me. I thought how cool it would be to write a story that wouldn't be scientifically accurate, but about the sun expanding and the rich and the privileged managed to get on some spaceships and jet the fuck out of here, but what would it be like for the people that are left in this blazing hot, incredibly oppressive environment? The only respite you get is at night, and then as soon as the daytime hits again, the sun just engulfs everything, just everything you can see in the skyline is just this blazing sun. I thought that would be so cool. Hopeless and nihilistic, but cool. I never got around to writing that story, but I did hold on to that one lecture in case I wanted to use it later as source material. 
but now I've decided I'm going to edit it as episode 3 of XO. This is Neil deGrasse Tyson with Ends of the World. Welcome back to my favorite universe. In this particular lecture, we're going to review things that can bring an end to Earth. Title this one, Ends of the World. Uh, people might think of a rampant virus that totally decimates an entire species. There's a lot of talk about, uh, especially in the days of the Cold War, about global thermonuclear exchange, bringing an end to Earth or perhaps just the extent to which we are destroying the environment. Earth was here before us, it's here now, it's going to be here long after we are gone. The memory and the fossil record. So what I want to talk about are real scenarios that put the entire planet in jeopardy. I can think of three, three scenarios. Let's start off with the death of the sun. We know what the sun is made of. Made of gas, hydrogen, and helium, mostly. The sun was born about five billion years ago, giving birth not only to itself, but to the entire solar system. We date Earth back to about 4.6 billion years. The sun is going to live another five billion years. So we are exactly midway. We're middle-aged. We now I'm referring to the sun. Starting at the sun's surface, strong magnetic fields embedded in the plasma that is the outer surface. These magnetic fields grab onto the structure of the sun and they snap and twist and pieces of the sun burst forth. It is a busy place. On the surface, it's about 6,000 degrees Kelvin. In the core, about 15 million. In the center is the source of all the energy generated within the sun. We call it the core, and in the core is where the thermonuclear fusion takes place. It is stable. It is in equilibrium. Hydrogen atoms, the nuclei, are being brought together to make heavier nuclei. You take four hydrogen atoms, and what do you get at the end of that? You get helium. We go from hydrogen to helium, and the act of doing that releases energy. Because the act of doing that loses mass. And we use the E equals mc squared equation of Einstein, the first equation any of us ever learned, even before we know what it means. That equation applies to the center of the sun. That energy is being generated 
and it's got to get out. It's trying to get out. The sun, by the way, wants to collapse under its own force of gravity. But it has a hard time doing it because this energy is working its way out. And the balance of forces and pressures between the thermal energy caused by this thermonuclear fusion and the gravitational pressures trying to collapse the star are in balance. So the sun basically keeps its same shape and the same rate of energy output for billions of years. It's a very efficient process. But this party's not going to last forever. Eventually, the conversion of hydrogen into helium, that can only continue while there is hydrogen in the core of the sun at these temperatures. One day, the sun is going to run out of hydrogen in the core. So we run out of hydrogen. Now we've got a big blob of helium in the center of the sun. It's called the loss of equilibrium. In that loss of equilibrium, the energy snuffs out. No more hydrogen. There's nothing to support the star. What does the star do? It collapses under its own weight. The act of collapsing heats the center of the star. It heats it until it ignites helium. What temperature is that? About 100 million degrees in the core. Much hotter than what it took to fuse hydrogen to helium. In the end, you end up taking three helium nuclei together and making the nucleus of one carbon atom. And that releases energy. Oh, but it releases a lot of energy. Much more energy than hydrogen going to helium in total. How do you get that energy out? The star has to respond somehow. Energy is trying to get out. You know what the star does? It begins to expand and expand and expand. That's going to happen to the sun. Five billion years from now, it's going to run out of hydrogen. It's going to start fusing helium into carbon after it collapsed a little bit, got the temperature up, and started cranking out the energy. And it's going to start doing that. It's going to swell. And you're going to look in the sky and say, hmm, the sun is getting kind of large. And as it gets large, the outer surface cools. The surface of the sun will drop from 6,000 degrees down to about 2,000 degrees start glowing red and become enormous. It'll first fill the entire orbit of Mercury, the closest planet to the Sun. It'll engulf Mercury and then fill the orbit of Venus. It'll engulf Venus and begin to, what's next? Mercury, Venus, Earth. It'll engulf Venus and then fill the orbit of Earth. Imagine what that looks like. Just imagine. Imagine a sun, what would sunrise be? It would be the whole horizon just rising up. Eventually, if it engulfs the entire orbit of Earth, the sun occupies half the sky. 
half the sky. The temperature of the sun's surface is dropping. Yes, it's dropping from 6,000 down to two or 3,000 degrees. But as that surface gets closer to Earth, the radiant energy that's hitting Earth goes up. And eventually, the temperature of the Earth becomes the same as the temperature of the sun's surface, because we're orbiting on the surface. 3,000 degrees, what begins to happen? Well, you heat the oceans, bring them to a rolling boil, and they evaporate into the atmosphere. The atmosphere itself gets so hot, you evaporate it, laying bare Earth's surface without protection, without any way to cool itself. The surface starts rising in temperature. You vaporize all known life. Render rocks aglow, like what goes on inside of a volcano. As we get engulfed, Earth slams into the gas that is the material of the sun. It's bad for the orbit. The orbit was happy out there in its near vacuum with nothing to force a decay in its motion. And now we've got star material there. It plows through it, slows down its orbit, and it descends, spirals down in, and evaporates into a puff of smoke. begins to happen to the sun, that kind of makes interstellar space travel a high priority, doesn't it? to the Milky Way. The Milky Way, that's our galaxy. It's going to have problems of its own. That, st that system is actually the blurred, fuzzy light of a hundred billion stars. Back in the 1920s, Edwin Hubble, he looked around the night sky, found all the galaxies, did a little Doppler measurement on them, slightly different from, but similar to in principle what a police radar gun does when it gets your speed of your car on the street. He looked up at all the galaxies in the sky and said, how fast are they moving? They're coming towards us, coming away, and he made a whole catalog. And once he made that catalog, he found out that nearly every galaxy was moving away from us. That was the discovery of the expanding universe. Now, 
Some galaxies, however, were coming towards us. And one of those galaxies is the Andromeda galaxy, the nearest galaxy to our own. And it's not surprising, if all galaxies have random motions, and the expansion of the universe becomes more and more significant the farther out you get, then you might expect the nearest galaxies, with whatever is their speed, to be overcoming the expansion of the universe. And in fact, that's just what's happening. We are on our way towards each other at a speed about 100 kilometers a second. What's that in ordinary terms? About a quarter million miles an hour. Fast. Collision is imminent. Two galaxies colliding, and Andromeda is two or three times the mass of the Milky Way. It's going to be a bad day for the structure of the Milky Way galaxy. Well, it's 2.4 million light years away. That sounds far, but we're going, to, we, we're going to close that gap. And it'll take between 5 and 7 billion years to do it. So, if we survive the death of the sun, by whatever means, we'll be around to see the collision between Andromeda and the Milky Way. Bring your daughters, bring your sons, drown them all in virgin blood and tell them I'm the one. Tell them I'm the one. We have computers. We, we, we have a very strong idea of what happens. The galaxies feel tidal forces between each other. Praise the sun and praise the moon. This sacrifice is coming soon. One side of the galaxy is closer than the other, so it feels a stronger force of gravity, and it gets tugged and twisted and turned. The thing looks like a train wreck when it's done. And we didn't make this up. We do the calculation, hey, this looks like a mess. Then we look out in the cosmos, and we find galaxies that are in the middle of collision. Your father's eye, no, right now you're gonna die. God ain't gonna come. Your God ain't gonna Perhaps the most terrifying of all of these deaths is the heat death of the universe. The Big Bang is, a very, is the most successful theory of the universe ever put forth, and it describes an expanding universe, expanding against the will of gravity that would try to have it collapse back, because we don't have enough gravity to accomplish that. We also know that there's this new pressure that was discovered. We call it dark energy. That's the accelerating universe. We know that the universe not only doesn't have enough mass to bring it back, there's a force that'll make sure that never happens. So we're on a one-way trip. As the universe gets bigger, its temperature drops. When we were one one-thousandth our present size, the universe was about 3,000 degrees. Today, it's three degrees. When the universe gets a thousand times bigger than it is today, then it's one thousandth of three degrees. In the distant future, what happens? All the gas clouds run out. 
because they've made all the stars they can with their supplies. And all the stars burn out. So we start running out of our supply, we run out of stars, and galaxies start to turn off one by one. And the night sky goes dark. Not only that, all processes in the cosmos that relies on energy moving from one place to another, and machines do that. Volcanoes, there's energy from down here coming up. Earthquakes, there's energy builds up and releases. All the movement of energy will cease. No earthquakes, hurricanes, volcanoes, none of that. No machines, it all winds down. Because every time a machine moves, it makes heat. The heat gets radiated to the frozen space frozen temperatures of the universe. Everything that ever could happen in the universe ceases. The universe is cooling like a pie out on a windowsill, radiating its heat out to the cool air. Bad day for the universe. When that happens, we can assert that the universe, though born with a big bang, has died. Not with a bang, but with a whimper. So, episode three, the end of the world. I believe there's a time when the corn of life should be cut, my friend. For more shows, please go to keepcourage.com.